Hey, friends, welcome back to another episode of Off Mic, Off the Record. I'm your host, Aaron Bentley. Joining me this week is a good friend of mine from Alabama, the pride of Alabama, Mr. Adam Hood. They ought to be proud. Damn right they should. I wish they would be more proud of me. They got a statue of you there yet? I want a statue. <laughs> right up there next to Saban. <laughs> It can't sit higher than Saban's up. I, you, yeah, that's right. It, I'll be sitting on a uh, sitting in a chair playing a guitar on my statue, <laughs> and Saban will be touching my head. He'll be right here. Uh, yeah, bless you, my child. That's right. Yeah, yeah. The old Godfather. <laughs> the Godfather. So uh, we can we can just jump on this and touch on it Let's quickly. It. You are an Auburn guy. I am, and your wife is a graduate of the University of Alabama. My wife's whole family is is uh, Alabama graduates. And we live we live in Northport which is which is Tuscaloosa but there's a river that runs between the two so we're not really there's a body of water that separates me from Tuscaloosa. So there's a little bit of a there's a little <laughs> bit of a distance there but Absolutely, yeah. A house divided. That's right. I'm not a hater though. And um I also like I'm just from Opelika like I'm from that area and so I didn't go to school there. So I don't really have you know, I mean, I have, I have the, the, you know, of course, I, I love Auburn. That's what I've always, you know, been, I've always pulled for Auburn. But I don't know. It's I'm not. I've been to more Alabama games than I've been to Auburn games. I'll well, tell you that. Well, you're close. You're right there. Right. Right. And and there's there's a mystique about that whole area. And yes, Alabama. I mean, there we know they've been the dominant team for sure. years in football. Right. But Auburn. It's a rival, but you said it best. You know, for you, it's more Georgia is the yeah. rival. Auburn Georgia has been a, a probably a, a more deep, deep seated rivalry. You know, in my, in my opinion, and and that's the thing. You know, I mean, Alabama fans would tell you something different, but I mean, you know, I think it's just a lot of history there because you know, our Pat Dye was one of our biggest coaches, and he came from Georgia. And uh, well, okay, so Pat Dye played. He played for Georgia, and Vince Dooley played at Auburn. And oh, okay. So, you know what I mean? Like, there's all these weird things. And, there was this one time that, that Georgia beat us, and they came down there and they started pulling grass off our off our field, and we ain't forgot about it yet. Pulling grass off the field. This was like in the eighties. Wow, it's so funny the things that you remember when it comes to football. You know? Oh yeah, hundred uh, percent. What was the story? And you're gonna have to help me out here. So the thing with the trees. Okay. What was the story? I don't know. I remember. I think maybe it was on a thirty for thirty. Yes. About a guy. Poisoning the trees? His name's Harvey Updike. Yeah. Okay. And so, basically, so Paul Feinbaum, familiar with Paul yes. Feinbaum? Okay, so before the Paul Feinbaum TV show, there was Paul Feinbaum that was like on Jocks FM in Birmingham. And I, I you know, he went away for a little while and then got on ESPN and, and blew up. And I can't remember. I think he was on ESPN when Harvey Updike called in. But Updike was an Alabama fan that I don't know if, I think it I can't remember what what game like what year of the Iron Bowl this was around but he called into the, the Paul Feinbaum show and said I just poisoned these trees and he he said I just put like it was like it's like spike D80 or something weird I mean like yeah. that's not it but you know what I'm saying I know like, what you're saying yeah yeah and and he sure did I mean those trees are gone and they've been there forever. I mean, they were the trees like that was our tradition. You know, you would when Auburn won, everybody went down to Tumor's Corner and you took your toilet paper and you rolled the trees. Right. You know, and so that's what. Yeah, that guy killed those trees, and they pressed charges against him and everything. I think he's in. I think he's. 
He's in. I, I know this. I know that he's not in good health because I hear every once in a while they're like, "Well, Harvey Updike, so and so, we're thinking about letting him out and stuff like that," just because of the fact that he's old and you know. I don't know that the guy should have gone to prison, <laughs> but but nonetheless, I mean, you know, I mean, <laughs> it, that's strange to me because you're right. Rivalries are one thing. Remembering when somebody does yeah. something, sports rivalries are one thing, but knowing that Tumors Corner. Did I say it right? Tumor's Corner? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Held such a special part of the tradition mm-hmm. that you're going to go when you're going to poison trees. First of all, that's just dumb. It's ass. dumb. Yeah. I mean. It was a very, in, a, a, a really off, off the wall, stupid thing to do. Yeah. I'm really into traditions. I like a lot of the things. Uh, I'm an Aggie. Yeah. Um, Y'all got tons of traditions. I'd say probably more traditions than I know of as, as far as like the difference between what happens at A&M and what happens at Auburn is pretty. It's is pretty crazy. Yeah. And some people will say we're cultish. <laughs> so what, though? I mean, so Ohio what? State is, Ohio Alabama State, is. Michigan, you know? yeah. yeah they're totally. all are. But to go as far as to kill a tradition. I know. I know. What a jerk. What a jerk. And that, I mean, that's kind of why it made the news that it did, just because of the fact that it was something that was so off the wall and, you know, that I don't know. But at the same time, it was so off the wall, but like you couldn't have you couldn't have hurt Auburn fans any worse. <laughs> there was I mean, you could have gone and like killed the eagle, you know, which and it is would, another strange tradition that, that Auburn has. You know, So let's talk about that war eagle. Okay. What what does that mean? From what I understood, at the in the Civil War, there was someone that like let a bird go, or there was an eagle that got wounded in a battle or something, and and they let it go, and, and it flew over the field or something like that. Okay. I don't know. I mean, I'm 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 butchering that story. No, no, it's okay. People are gonna get mad, but no, but no, I mean, mad. I don't remember the whole thing. But that was it. Just it centered around an eagle that that flew over a, the field. Okay. That makes sense. Um, but there's like a big raptor center at the university. And so, like, we've always had eagles, you know? Okay. So it's kind of like A&M's always had border collies. Exactly. It's exactly that. Like, it's our, like, you know, I mean, we are Auburn Tigers, but, I mean, I wouldn't say a tiger's our mascot. Like, the eagle would be our mascot. Well, A&M, you know, we're, you know, we're Aggie. the Aggies, which is the fight farmers, but Reveille is our mascot. So. It's exactly the same thing. That's exactly, exactly the same thing. Oh, so we're not so weird. You and I, okay, Auburn and A&M have a lot. You know, and it's funny you say that because that was sort of the deal with me being in Texas was the fact that there was, that Auburn has a big vet school, ag school. Mm-hmm. And so I, I knew people when I was at Auburn playing and stuff like that. I had friends that were from here and that did their undergraduate here. And then went to did the graduate program in Auburn, and so when like that the vet school is right there on what what we call Wire Road. Well, it is called Wire Road, but Wire Road was where the three joints that we started playing. Okay, you know? and so I played for vet school students. That's pretty were, interesting. Yeah. And so and they they did one or the other. So they either did uh, undergraduate A and M or did undergraduate at, at Auburn. And if they did that, they went and did their graduate stuff at A and M. And so like, they just kind of flipped mm-hmm. what you're talking about. Two very large vet schools yes. and very prestigious vet schools. Yeah, yeah. 
it's animal science. It's, 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 they're ag schools and, it, and that's, what's cool about it. You get people that on the surface level, just see schools like that as, as a football school or yeah. a sports school. And they're really more than that. Oh, very much so. Yeah. And that's, the, that's the thing, like, you know, through these years and traveling and stuff like that, you know, I, I try to be as observant as I can. And the people that I, that I know, that's the stuff that I, you know, it, it always kind of blossomed around, uh, you know, the, well, you know, before I got to Texas, it was always, you know, people that w- that would had put, gone to school at Auburn. I mean, I still get that all the time. Man, we used to come see you at Champs all the time. I mean, this was like the 90s, you know. Oh, man. And I think it's cool how college towns have those little niche bars or clubs yeah, where music is formed. So you talk about playing around the Auburn area. I'm sure there's a gazillion other musicians who got their start mm-hmm. there. I mean, you look at it here in Texas, you know, you've got Lyle Lovett and Robert Earl that got their start playing the small bars outside of A&M, which turned into Ritual Tool Kyle Park. And right. even yeah. Jamie Lynn played some of those joints. But, I mean, you can go up to Stillwater, and even before Cody and them started playing up there, Garth Brooks played those those little ones right there about Stillwater. And what was it? Toby Keith at Oklahoma. And yeah. I'm sure just about every university – Large university, one school we could name, there's going to be an artist who started playing college bars. That's where the party is, man. You know? I is. mean, that's where the kids that want to party come. And the cool thing is, it's funny because, like, those places that we talk about, like, it wasn't it wasn't popular to begin with. You know, like, I mean, because Stillwater is funny that you mentioned that. Like, I don't think I've ever played Stillwater. I played Stillwater, Oklahoma twice. One time I played it was, I don't even remember where we played. And then the second time I opened for Eli Young at the, at the Wormy Dog when the Wormy Dog moved to Oklahoma City. So it was like the Dirty Dog or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, really yeah. weird. Yeah. But, it, and that was it. Like, that's my Stillwater experience. That's it's crazy. It. All these years in this scene, and I've only played Stillwater twice. Twice. That's crazy. And we talk about the scene. You, you have a pretty long career. Mm-hmm in what we would call the Texas red dirt independent scene. And so tell me about that. You're not a Texas or Oklahoma guy. You're, you're an you're from Alabama, Alabama native, Alabama. I can't believe I just (laughs) did that word. (laughs) I don't care. (laughs) Tell me about that. How, how, how different would you say the Texas scene is versus Alabama? Well, I mean, you know, listening to Grider, that, that show, it sort of brought back all the memories because, you know, Josh and I are, I don't want to say we got here at the same time, but I remember opening for Josh when he was at school in Baylor, you know? So, I mean, well, maybe, I guess were they in school? Maybe he had just got me, same thing, like this was the beginning of, or kind of, I got here around the beginning of the end of things, like, like, like you were talking about Sixth Street, like we played at Momo's and places like that, Okay, you know? So, so I was here on the tail end of it. Right. And it was because of the fact that, you know, getting started in Auburn. I mean, Jack Ingram came to Auburn when I was like, I was, a, it was after my senior year of high school. Okay. So I saw him there and then Pat came a couple of times. Um, and so, I mean, pretty early, you know, the Texas guys were coming to, coming to Auburn. Okay. And I had a friend that, that was in vet school and she was from here. And she she would burn me, not burn me. That's funny. She would make cassette tapes, like yes, cassettes. Yeah, and it was like I wish I could find them now. There was like three. There were three volumes, and it was all Texas music. It was Roger Craiger. It was fifty dollars in a flask of Crown. The blue, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like it was all that. It was all of it, but not the greatest hits. 
but kind of the greatest hits, like her version of you need to know these people. And it was everybody. And I was really into Steve Earle at the time. And so, you know, I kind of, I had studied the masters, you know what I mean? Like yes. I was really into the greats. And so to, this was, this was when I started really honing in my craft. Like, okay, I realize I've got to do this. I want to do this right. Who are the people that, that, did it right. And it was, you know, I listened to a lot of Steve. I listened to a lot of Graham Parsons and stuff like that. And of course, Delbert McClinton, I was always into his stuff. Yes. And so it was cool to sort of, at the same time that I was learning from the greats and learning from the masters, I was also listening to what's current. You see what I'm saying? And so I could blending it. Yeah, exactly. And sort of, I, I was able to find and navigate through, okay, well, I don't sound anything like this, but I can relate to this kind of stuff because when I came over here, I mean, that was a big deal. You got to open for so-and-so and and you got to open for so-and-so. And we did it. I mean, I was thinking about it. I mean, golly, I've opened for everybody. I mean, I've opened for a lot of people. (laughs) (laughs) But you say opened it, but your career in and of itself has been, you've had hellacious success. Thank you. And, so you talk about studying the greats and listening to the Steve Earls and Dilbert McClinton. How much did the muscle shoal sound kind of have impact what you did? A lot earlier in my, in my life okay. that was there. Like I was listening to Otis Redding before I was playing a guitar. You know what I mean? And I really got into the stones and stuff like that. And, and of course, Dilbert made records there. So, but you know, it's kind of one of those things that that stuff is sort of, that's just the stuff they play on the radio. You know what I mean? And, and so I, I was I was absorbing it subconsciously, you know right. what I mean, like as a kid and and as a you know a, a young a, a preteen, right? You know, thinking about this stuff, like I may want to play guitar, like you know. And of course, I was you know I was I was a kid when Stevie Ray Vaughan was alive, and so I came up in that era when I decided I wanted to play a guitar. It was that, but it was also Bon Jovi and stuff like that. So it was Stevie and Bon Jovi. But then I didn't get into the writers until probably. Sophomore, junior year of high school. Okay. And the, the Muscle Shoals sound, uh, Stones cut, is it Sticky Fingers? Yes. Sticky Fingers was cutting Muscle Shoals. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. surface level, a lot of people don't understand how important Muscle Shoals was as an area because it was a specific sound totally that came out of there. Well, everybody wanted to work with Rick Hall. You know, they 100%. wanted to go down there and, and do what, you know, go to Rick's studio because Rick was getting the sounds. And he, he had the band, and you know, I mean, there was that, and, and I, I would say probably that was post Stax. I think Stax was making records. I think their heyday was a little before Muscle yeah, Shoals. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was. And there's a good documentary. I think it's actually called Muscle Shoals. Correct. Yeah. It's if, out no, there. But yeah, if you hadn't watched it, people definitely really, a good one. Very, very good documentary. So you you pick up the guitar, you, like you said, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Brilliant. My dad was a massive Stevie Ray fan. Yeah. And so uh, we got to listen to. I mean, I heard that all the time. Um, Texas Flood, all that kind of – I mean, that was just my dad's stuff. And the same thing, we, I think you and I listened, probably grew up on a lot of the same music. You said mm-hmm. Bon Jovi, so a lot of that, the Cinderella. Yeah, the man, there you go. Long Cold Winter, one of my favorite albums <laughs> yeah, of all time. Totally. I bet you I, I know the first 30 seconds of every guitar, every song on that record because learning guitar parts. But I don't know the whole song. I just know the I know that I know the opening riff because that was what I would take to my guitar teacher on Tuesdays and say, "Show me how to play Gypsy Road." Gypsy Road. This is the song <laughs> I was thinking. Of. Gypsy Road or Coming Home. Yes, that's right. That's a good album. Twelve string guitar. Oh, I loved it. Then get the keys on. Don't know what you got till it's mm-hmm. gone. 
some yeah. some poison, some who else was big then? Def Leppard. Yeah, it's all the hair bands. All the hair bands. And that's the thing. I mean, that was what was on the radio. But the cool thing was, like you were saying, like that was on the radio, but but Crossfire was on the radio. Yes, too. it was. So In Step was out at the same time that uh, Slippery When Wet was out, and so every once in a while they would sneak in a Stevie Ray video or a Stevie Ray song on the radio, you know, in between the hair bands. And man, I mean, just made my mouth water. And then some Bonnie Raitt. Mm-hmm. And that was the thing, Bonnie Raitt, you know, the thing called Love, I remember when that song was out, and I loved it. And, you know, I just thought it was cool. And, you know, I mean, that song is my sound. And, and I knew it was my sound at 16. And so my mom brought home a cassette tape of John Hyatt's Bring the Family. Yes. The thing called Love was on there. And, and that started the whole thing for me. You know, I didn't realize, I didn't know that 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 John Hyatt wrote "Thing Called Love" and released it on an album too. You know what I mean? And so when I heard the writer do the recorded version of the song, I said, "That's that's what I want to do." You know. So with that, would you say you're a songwriter before a performer? Yes, I would say so. Yes. And with that, you have had. I went through the list earlier. I was going through your list of cuts that you have had. Oh, Lord. So for those people that don't know, if you go onto Spotify, onto Adam's mm-hmm. page, there's a little section that has your songwriting. Yes, my credit, playlist. Yeah, Your playlist of credits. Sir, you, you've had some big cuts. I've done well. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate, I'm glad to hear you say that. And some good ones. I mean, I'm going through here. I mean, obviously, you and Jason and Brent have all wrote together. Or Brent, mm-hmm. I mean, have wrote together quite frequently. Some Will Hogue, a little Big Town cut. Yeah. Which front porch thing for you was out? What album was that? That was on a, that was on the um, Shape of Things record. I Shape wrote that song with Stapleton. With Stapleton, were you you guys ever on the same pub deal? No, he was at Seagale and I was at Carnival. Carnival. Yeah. And you were at Car- are you still at Carnival? No, uh, uh-uh, I'm okay. not there. But I, you know my my manager works at Carnival, and so I'm I'm I write there all the time. Okay. <laughs> I'm kind of you know I'm I'm kind of in. Uh, Sneaking in the back door at Carnival, but Brent's still there. Brent's and, still there. Yeah. I mean, I'm a free agent right now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get through the rest of the year being a free agent. Okay, because I was gonna say earlier in the year, and this is probably, or that might have been the end of last year. And last time we talked, I guess you were at the end of your last publishing deal, mm-hmm. and you were. Let's talk a little bit. Let, let's kind of peel some okay. layers back All about right, a pub deal for for the, the the listeners to make them understand. So a pub deal is different than a contract. A publishing deal is where you are signed to a specific pub publishing house, mm-hmm. and you have X number of songs that you're required to turn in Correct. for a year, mm-hmm. right? Um, and you've had a couple different publishing deals with different pub houses. I had two. Yeah. You've had two. Uh, but they weren't short term; they were long term, weren't they? I was at Carnival for seven years, and I was at Low Country Sound for five. Okay, yeah. so twelve years, two yeah. pub deals. So that's that's actually that's long term. Yeah. So wow. So let's talk about your first one at Carnival. Okay, what was so kind of explain like to the <clears throat> listener what that what it initially looks like. So I that whole thing started when I met Miranda Lambert. So we we were playing at that Ray Wiley thing, the Roots and Branches thing. Uh, yes, uh, years ago. And her car broke down, and so the, the broke down in New Braunfels. It so she was they were having like a, a girls' weekend basically. And so the car wouldn't start. They said, "Well, you know, we'll just stay an extra night and let the, let them fix it." And so they walked into Tavern on the Green, and I was playing. And so that started that whole relationship. And she introduced me to Frank Liddell, who 
was the guy that produced her records. Also, Leanne Womack's husband, also the guy that started Carnival Music and started it. Um, he, you know, he, he says Bruce Robinson was the reason why he started Carnival. And Bruce was, Bruce was there. The, the, we were there together for probably about two years. But anyway, so, so it, it you know, it, it was one of those things to where I was on the road a lot. We released different groove and that was really what we were pushing on. And man, I mean, we did like, we did like 300 shows in a year and, and I got burnt out pretty fast. Right. And so the fact that then granted, you know, I know guys that do 300 shows a year, for, you know, I mean, American Aquarium, they've been doing 300 shows a year for like the past 10 years, yeah. you know? <laughs> so, I mean, and I did it for one and, it, and I mean, it was one of those things where I said, I can't do this anymore. And so that was when I kind of met Miranda and she, and so the whole publishing thing started, you know what I mean? And it's a, it's a really different process, but you know, so I, I said, okay, well, I, you know, I live close to Nashville. Let's see what happens. And so I, I went up there and I played a couple of songs for Frank. And then I, I went to like Harlan Howard and, and his Harlan Howard publishing. And I played some songs for them and maybe one or two other people, uh, big yellow dog. I, I played some stuff for Carla Wallace, which if I, I mean, I'm getting off on the different subject, but anyway, so it's, it's all good. Yeah. But, uh, so that happened. And, and then, you know, you, they say, okay, well, here's the deal. Um, we like your stuff. And, and usually it, now I see how it works in hindsight that it's kind of like a certain artists pick from certain publishing houses. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I mean, you know, Reba has, her own publishing, like she has these people that write for her same way that like straight does Dean Dillon and Lauderdale and guys yes. like that, you know? So, so there are certain artists out there that have a certain well of writers that they draw from. And that was the hope with Miranda. And so, you know, that's kind of why I got involved with Carnival because I had the relationship with Miranda and, you know, you go in, you write these songs, she'll pick from whatever these songs are, you know, let's, let's hope we get some cut. And so, Ironically, I didn't get a song on a Miranda Lambert record until two weeks after I left Carnival. Two weeks after I left Carnival, Brent and, and I went and wrote with Miranda at Carnival, and then she cut that song. Which was... Uh, good Old Days. Good Old Days, which was on the Wings... Yes, Way to These Wings. Way to yeah. These Wings album. Great song, by the way. It, thank you. I, I mean, I played in my sets. I love it. It's one of the only songs that that I immediately remembered all the words to. And that is really rare for me. Like I, I, I've kind of, I'm, it's a, it's a bad habit of mine to write a song and to not revisit it. You should always do that. You should always do that. And I, I'm the, I'm the worst about it, but that song I didn't have to revisit. I felt like it was, it was done, you know, and I remembered all the words. And so I started playing it live pretty quickly. So that's awesome. I yeah. Maybe January 2017, I remember, maybe 16. I, I remember being in a room in uh, Steamboat. We were in a condo some afterwards, and I, and I heard you play that for the mm, first time. Cool. Uh, maybe it was you, Jason, Courtney, Mondo, I don't know, a bunch of folks. And I yeah. remember hearing you play that and going, oh, that's a damn good song. And then you told the story, yeah. well, this is going to get a cut. And I was like, oh, yeah, congrats. <laughs> so another thing I wanted to dive into, and I've never asked an artist this, explain the difference between knowing you have a cut and an on hold. Okay, so the holds, I heard somebody say that like they celebrated the holds more than they celebrated the cuts. But, you know, it, it's one of those things to where you have a song. You it's, So with, with publishing, like you said, you write, you write a certain amount of songs in a year. And it works like a book. Like it's work, like, you know, the, the publisher owns the song 
It's their property. You are the writer. You get the writer's share. And your name is attached to it as a writer, but the but the publisher, you guys, it's a symbiotic relationship, right? And so, um, same thing. Like an artist will go in and say, "Well, I like that song." They'll, you know, I mean, they'll go to the publishing house and say, "Okay, play me what you got," and they'll sit and they'll play it and play it and play just different songs, and and so they'll go, "Okay, keep that one for me," and that's. You know, we're making a record in six months. Put that one on hold. Don't let anybody touch that. Don't one. let anybody else have it. Yeah, and so the holds have been have been this kind of notorious enigma in Nashville for a long time. You know, and the thing is with me, let me say this about Nashville: is the fact that, like, number one, I don't live there, so I'm still I'm still an outsider, kind of. You know what okay. I mean? Like, I, I'm sort of well, I, an, an outlier, basically, is what it is. Right? You know, and I just kind of I, geographically, I live around the perimeter. And, you know, sort of get myself into the middle of things when I can. But it's a man, it's it's interesting. But the holds will turn into cuts. You hope they do. They it's rare because it's man, it's a really competitive thing. And I'm sure it is because for the the casual listener doesn't understand these publishing houses and these rights. There's hundreds a day. Totally. I mean, seven days a week. There's I mean, in every office space, in every house between 16th and 19th Avenue they're they're writing them man nonstop and there's people who, who are doing it like with you that's what you're doing you're they going do. in to write they're great you know what i mean like there is some there is some um, there are amazing songs that you'll never hear amazing songs and that's the that's the beauty in it you know doing the, i mean i write with Brent i mean Brent's he's amazing mm-hmm. you know and I, I same thing like will i mean you know we've We've written a, we've written enough to record each other's songs. You know what I mean, and right? So, so there's that's that's happening. I mean, like amazing music is happening every day, all the time, and it's just it's that's the thing that's so hard about it because of the fact that you know this is a song to be proud of, and it just won't get picked. Most of them won't. You know, I was talking to my buddy Wyatt Durrett, who I've known him for years, and like Wyatt wrote Chicken Fried and stuff like that. Um, but Wyatt said, you know, even he said, man, it's still it's still 98% no. Even he said that. And he gets songs cut all the time. It's, He's like, still 98% no. That's crazy. Yeah. I think that's what's unique about Texas is a lot of times we get to hear those songs. Yeah, totally. Maybe, I mean, Texas radio's, radio has been extremely good to everybody. And now that we've got internet radio and we've got, you get to chase those artists that are writing. Mm-hmm. And you, when you really understand the songwriters. I didn't understand songwriters yeah. for a long, probably till I was a sophomore, junior in college. Like you said earlier, oh, well, this person originally cut this song yeah. and I, and I got to hear it that way. And it was so strange because sometimes the sentiment changes yes. when you hear the songwriter and you hear the true emotion of a song. And man, it's, damn, that's powerful. You're, I mean, it's over after that. You're deep. You're deep. You know what I mean? Like you're above your knees in it. By the, when you hear the writer do the song, you've, you that's it. You're going down that wormhole for the rest of your life. It, you know? it, it, it's pretty wild. Yeah. I've had the luxury over the years with doing the, you know, when we did TXRDR and some other things, getting to hear the songwriter mm-hmm. songs. And that's, oh, I love it. There was uh, one time we were in Nashville and I was at uh, Kim Copeland's studio. And I was going because I wanted to understand big studio kind of how it worked. And she had a couple guys that were in there that were, that were you could say, probably session players and songwriters of that. And I got to hear them just kind of noodling around, sharing songs with each yeah. other. And I was like, more, more, more. <laughs> right. I just wanted more of it because I was like, this is insane. And then just getting to, to pick those little things. And when you dive into the songwriters thing, it's, oh, it's 
It's magical. It really is, totally. And and that's that's the reason why I put up with the crap I put up with. You know what I mean? That's the reason why I suffer through the rejection. That's the reason why I I mean really, it's like I said, it, it's competitive enough to where after 12 years if I I have to I have to take conscious effort to not let it affect my self-esteem. You know what I mean? Like it's brutal. And and so and, but but that's why I do it, because of the fact that I heard the writer play Thing Called Love when I was 17, and I can't get over it. At 46, I can't get past it. And then when you get to have one of your cuts, and you it, get to know it. And that's the, you know, it, it's a it's an interesting thing, because like you said, you know, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm proud of myself, you know, and I'm glad that I'm finally, after all these years, at a place to where I'm letting myself be proud of myself. Good. But I am deliberately letting myself be proud of myself because of the fact that, you know, I mean, I have the I have the the, the resume that I have. But, you know, man, you all see Brent's. I no. mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, it is really impressive. I am happy too that mainstream radio, mainstream radio has ebbs and flows. And, and it sure does. And Nashville gets knocked a lot for, oh, it's a, that just top 40. That's all it is. But it ebbs and flows. And I'm, I'm really happy that in the last I don't know, I'd say six, seven years. We're getting to hear Stapleton, yeah. Isbell, um, Caitlin Smith, some of these other oh, man, yeah. writers getting their just due on things they do. I mean, how many people, I mean, in all honesty, and, and, and I don't want to be that guy to call everyone out, but how many people really knew who Chris Stapleton was before Chris Stapleton put out Traveling? Totally. Absolutely. I mean, you uh, th- that that whole award show that that happened on, I mean, that was it. And, you know, Dave Cobb was telling me, he said, <clears throat> he, he said, when that happened, he said, you know, Chris had, had, you know, built 15, 20 years of goodwill in Nashville when, so as soon as he had a moment, the whole, like the whole infrastructure of the the music industry, got behind him, and rightfully so, because I mean the guy's a powerhouse, and he's he's, I mean it, yeah, I, it's, that's one of those things to where the world got to see what talent looks like, you know, and and the crazy part is that's just the surface, yeah, man. I mean he's just one dude, one dude, <laughs> yeah, it's great. So throw it back a little bit. Um, I've been pretty much a fan of this scene for a long time. And I think the first song of yours, I really, really remember knowing uh, was off your sixth street album, mm-hmm. a million miles. Yeah. I think that's one that stuck with me the most and really got it. And we, you and I were talking right before we came on air about how I've kind of seen a resurgence mm-hmm. of that song in popularity. When did you cut that or write it? I should say I wrote it. Oh gosh. I, I probably it was in the nineties. Um, but we recorded it, so I've got that twenty-one to inner record, which is the rec, which is like the CD that that happened before the Sixth Street thing. Okay, and so basically twenty-one to enter, and I still sell this. I mean, still at my merch table, I've got I've got thousands of them. Um, it's it's a, a board tape from a, a show in Columbus, Georgia, and and it was all those songs. It was, it was coffee song. It was that one. It was a song called take you with me that midnight river choir recorded. Like it's a, it's a cut, like, like it's, it, you know, my, the concrete that my writing. Yeah. It was the foundation. Exactly. And, but the quality of it was pretty poor. And so, you know, we decided that I met Justin Johnson, my buddy that, that I made the six street record at his house. And so we decided to take these songs and re-record them because, you know, we just weren't getting, it, everybody, you know, the people that we talked to loved them, but they couldn't play them on the radio because, well, there was a guy named Scott Register that, was, that did Regis Coffee House in Birmingham. And, and Scott 
Um, I mean, it was like he was the, the the guy that set the bar, you know, as far as like, here's what I'm listening to. And so if if if, if Reg was listening to it, everybody was listening. Right. And so um, so that was what Reg said. He's like, man, I love these songs. He said, but, you know, I, the quality's not good. Sonically. Yeah. It, sonically, just, the quality. I, yeah, it's, it, I can't play it. And so we went back in the studio and we were, well, went to Justin's house and recorded this thing. And so that's or recorded Sixth Street. And that's how I got to Texas was because the guy that managed me, his name is Jeff Krennic. He lived in Lakeway outside Austin. And so um, we made the record. I think I put it out in like January of, or two, of 2004. And he's like, okay, well, you know, let's come out of South by Southwest. And I got here and I mean, they were playing Steve Earl on the overhead at the barbecue joint. And I said, this is it. I'm, I'm, I've, it, it, it's like that blind melon video where like the little girl walks into the thing, yeah. like, you know, she's got the bee costume on and she walks through the gate and there's all these other bees. You know what I mean? Like that was what Texas you was were, you, you knew you were home. Totally. Absolutely. Cool, man. You feel like playing it? Yeah. Um, and I will say, yes, this is a song that stays on my regular rotation. <laughs> That's that, thank you. I appreciate it. Cause man, this I mean, this is one of the first songs I ever wrote. No cars on the county road I can't stand to be going home I'm so mad, I'm so alone And I made some big mistakes I can't take back yesterday But it's too hard to live this way When your heart is a million miles away I get tired and it makes me mean But cruel words aren't what you need And I know And we both agree But sometimes Life gets down on me and Two hours on the interstate I get quiet and start to pray cause it feels like I've lost my faith cause we can work it out and there's a sharp pain down in my soul no cars on the county road what I'd give to change my fate when your heart is a million miles away Your heart is a million miles away I 
Man, thank you. Oh, I love that thank song. Thank you. Thank That's you. such a good one. You write from a place of introspect is my my opinion. Totally, 100%. I, I, I didn't want to know that I was wrong on that, but that's just my belief. Yeah. And there's always a lot of highway, road time that I, I get from your music, being away from family and maybe some reflection. How much of your writing, how much your writing is is really that versus maybe some embellishment or vice versa? Uh, the road songs are, are pretty pretty to the point the relationship songs are are, are sort of because i learned pretty quickly not to air your dirty laundry uh-huh. you know what i mean and so but at the same time you know i mean the song i haven't really written that many songs for my wife because we're still happy you know i mean it, it, i don't really i don't really write songs for, for you until until we when it comes to women you know what i mean and there's no i say women plural there are no women in my life except for the ones that that live in my home, and there's well, there's a lot of them. <laughs> I like the way you said that, and and that that's that's a, a point that I believe in the way I write. It's hard to write when you're happy. Yeah, I mean, Steve Earle said it. Same thing. He just you know you can't sabotage your life for the sake of art. You know. Mm-hmm. But you, but we, for some stupid reason, we all try because that's the thing. I mean, you know, artists, creative people are full of angst and emotion and things like that. Like something's got to pull it out of you. You know, I mean, every rock star has got an issue with one of their parents. That's what I mean. That, and that's not true. But I remember like, yeah, yeah. a documentary and they were talking about John Lent. Like the fact that like you go look at the Stones and the Beatles and things like that. And the most successful ones were the ones that hated their fathers. You know what I mean? And so it's all these weird things to try to figure out how lightning strikes you know but that but you know something's got to something has to you have to have emotion to be able to draw the emotion out of you to be able to take the emotion and 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 so you sir have had a cut on a television program yes this was uh the show was called heart of dixie uh that was 2012, I think. And so I was, it was season two, episode two. I say it in my show all the time. Good. And so they, uh, and I say it on my show because of the fact that like the show's on Netflix and everybody was binge watching. And so I got all the, like when the show was on, I got all these text messages. Hey, I just heard your song on TV. And then that happened again last year. Hey, I just, we were watching so-and-so and I just heard your song on TV. <laughs> so it was pretty neat that, that, you know, it, it kind of, that there was a little bit of an extra spark there because of all the all the Netflix shows. Oh yeah, and everybody was home, everybody was binge watching. Yeah, nothing to do. Nothing to do, and so they're watching it. And um, what's some of the stuff that you binge watch? I, I mean, I know you're on the road a lot and you travel, but I mean, there's got to be something you binge watch. Okay, I asked my wife about this, and um, it's a good answer. I do that too. Yellowstone. Yeah, that's that's deep. <laughs> But Yellowstone is a great show. It is a good show. Um, we watched that Midnight Mass show. And I told you I want to watch that. I need mm. to. It's, Man. It looks so good. It is really, it's really, uh, really mentally, it's a it's a marathon, you know. It's, a, it's weird. It's a, at the end of the day, it's a vampire show. And so, you know, we're not vampire people. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, we're, I, I, whatever. It is what it is. But like. I mean, I, I wouldn't say like when we're scrolling through things, we're not like we got to find the what. Where's the next vampire show going to be? So, but that was the cool thing about that one. Like you didn't see it coming, and by the time it was there, by the time it was weird, you were sucked in. You know, and I love shows like that. I do too. Where it's like third episode. Oh wow, this just got weird. But I can't stop watching it. 
It's the way I was with Peaky Blinders. Have yeah, you same Peaky? thing. Peaky Blinders. Yep, sitting there oh. waiting on that one. And then there's um oh Ozark is great. Ozark's a really that's, good show. That's a great show. Um, we watched that Bloodline. That was good. Um, I mean, yeah, all that stuff. Oh, oh, oh! There's that show Money Heist. So now we're into the subtitles on on Netflix, and and for the longest time I couldn't stand it. But you kind of have to surrender to the subtitles when you it do. comes to those shows, you know. And it's not the subtitles; it's the fact that like the lips don't match. <laughs> So that's, I told you I just watched Squid Game, and uh, that's a Korean show, and it is overdubbed. I had to, episode two, turn on the subtitles because I was watching a person, and I was like, you didn't say that. Yeah, it's a weird thing. It's, yeah. it's interesting. Yeah, I, I, for the longest time, hated subtitles. I'm with you. I'm there now. I yeah. have to do it. And I'll catch myself doing it on shows that I've seen before, and I'll end up turning them off. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to that's see subtitles funny. on Shawshank. Yeah, that's right. I know what he's saying. I know what he's saying. Uh, it's interesting. You you talk about that, and you having uh, what's Heart of Dixie and some of these Virgin River, Yellowstone, um, The Ranch. Those shows are very music centric in yeah. the fact that they have good soundtracks, and maybe it's just the selfish me because that's the music I'm into mm-hmm. the song singer songwriter kind of music. It's an interesting thing an anomaly in and of itself. And I think that helps a lot of people find musicians. That's how I found John Moreland mm-hmm. was watching sons of anarchy. And I, I really dove into his music by hearing a couple of cuts on there. And it's, it's a, it's an interesting thing. And we're not going to dive too deep in this because of some of the legalities of things we can't talk right. about, but you were telling me that in situations like that, that's more of a flat fee versus like a radio spin where you would get, a royalty, correct? In movies. In movies. Yeah. Now, with with television, b- because of the fact that the publisher owned the money, the, the, the publisher owned the song, I don't know how the breakdown was with that. But I know, like like we were saying, I mean, I I we I had a song that made it all made it to like the the uh, semifinals of uh, Star Is Born, and so it was enough to where I kind of saw how the how the financial breakdown okay. is, and 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 so th- with with movies, it's 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 play is paid flat rate. Now, granted, I don't know that. Um, I mean, every there's no two that are the same. Oh, yeah, I'm sure the yeah. contracts are all going to be different right. and everything. And yeah, but movies work different than than TV does. Okay, and which is totally different from radio. Oh, absolutely, yeah, or streaming or things like that because it's uh, licensing basically. Is what yes. It is. So so in, in in licensing, that means like they sort of rent it instead okay. of buying it. That makes sense. Thank you for explaining that. Yeah, that's, sure. That's a, I, I, I kind of, I've had some co-writes and stuff, so I, I know what the, the mailbox checks look like totally. on those, um, all 38 cents of them that I get <laughs> from the streaming yeah, services. That's right. You've seen your BMI statements just like we it's all that. have. <laughs> yeah, they're tiny. They're, they're not tiny. It's fun though. Dollar 38. Ooh, I got a check. I know. I like to go open up. So I, I tell Brittany, it's like, oh, let's, let's see how much. How much uh, wood you wasted to to make this check for forty cents? I, I mean, it's like it's fun now, you know. It is. It's 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 an interesting thing. But then things pop up, you know. I mean, it's funny. And Brent and I talk about this. All, and granted, you know, Brent's at a different place than I am. But like, it's funny to sort of see like, oh, this wow, we make the car payment on this one, and then the, then like three months later, or like in the next quarter, it's like, oh, okay, back down to seven dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I get a cheeseburger with yeah, this right. one. <laughs> But you, they'd still deposit. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and it's it's 
you, like we talked about, you, you, you've been a songwriter first, so you've had a lot of that. So you have more success than most, I would say. And it's hard to, I don't know, I guess quantify that because you can't judge on what, what it's going to be. Yeah, man. And it's, it's, there's, there's always somebody that's, that's doing more, you know, I mean, there's always somebody that's working harder and, and just like, you know, that, that kind of gets back to what I was saying. Like, I I have to really be conscious of the fact that I I have to make myself be proud of myself, you know? Absolutely. And, and, but because I have to, because if I'm not, if, if I can't, if I can't appreciate my own, the fruits of my own labor and, and, you know, and it's not the, you know, not financial fruit is, I mean, I'm, you know, this is, I'm still a blue collar dude, you know? Um, but it's, I w- I need to be able to appreciate those things so that I can keep going. Yeah. Know? Does, so what's you saying that being a, the blue collar, the, the worker, the, the, the creative that you are, mm-hmm. the fulfilling part of it has to be completing a project, right? Yes. Yeah. So, and Josh said something on his podcast, and I don't like to always reference back, but I just know that you've just recently listened to that one. Is there any one part of the songwriting slash album making slash performance process that is more fulfilling to you than another? I mean, the writing is always the best, you know, and it's it's always, I mean, man, it, it, even even the hardest parts of writing are fun to me. Like, I, I really, and and. COVID, the, the the quarantine really helped me fall in love with writing again. Okay. I mean, I went from like, I went from writing one song by myself every other year to eight songs in, a, in like a six month time period. All wow. by myself, you know what wow. I mean? Wow. Yeah. So, and, and I would have had, had it not been for COVID, I wouldn't have done that. And that's really important. You know, it's really important to do this by yourself and to finish a thought by yourself. It's really important to do that. And this, this, agree. the, the habit that we get into is, is you start something, you feel like it's good and you don't, it's like, well, I got a writing appointment with so-and-so next week. I better save this instead of finishing the song. And so by doing that, you, you don't, you don't complete your thought. And so the completion of the thought, even, even with, you know, by myself or with a writer, that's the most gratifying. Okay, good. So you obviously do a lot of co-writing. A lot. Yeah. A lot. And you talked about saving ideas. Do you find, and this is just an off-the-wall question here, do you find that you have more success with going in with an idea or a fresh idea? I like going in with an idea is always the best thing to do. Okay. But I will say this. I've, the, the times that I've gone in with ideas are usually the times where we write something different. You know what I mean? So uh-huh. I, I know exactly what you mean. And so it, it's always good to do that. And it's always good to kind of, I mean, being prepared is, especially when you're writing with like an artist or something like that, you know I mean? Kind of Brent and I are sort of at that. And Brent and I have, have, have become this, this interesting duo. And so like, you know, we, it went from like just he and I being buddies to like, you know, you, you guys are right with Travis Tritt. You guys are right with Miranda. You guys are right with Luke Combs. You guys. Yeah. Yeah. It's Brent and I, you know, and so, and it's a package uh, deal. Totally. Well, and it, it benefits me a lot more because I know, I know, I know that I'm in the room because Brent's in the room, you okay. know, which is fine. I'm cool with that. But, and I kind of take a lot of pride in that because Brent's, you know, Brent is a, not the easiest guy in the world to write with just because he's, he's br- brilliant. And so, you know what I mean? Like you, re- I mean, like he'll, he'll come in with a half a song written and he'll go, man, I got this idea and he'll play it. And it's like, keep them on their toes or something. I mean, you know, I mean, King of Alabama songs like that. I mean, 
man, how do you how do you write a second verse to those songs? You know, right. it's like it got, I got the verse and I got the chorus. Go, your turn. And so, uh, I, yeah, exactly. But me, I was one of the first. I was the first guy he wrote with in Nashville. And so, um, I'll take that challenge. You know, I mean, he's shot down more ideas than he's kept of mine, so it don't hurt my feelings. You know, and so he and I can go in there together. And and be a creative mind that'll that'll knock some things out pretty quickly and make great songs. And you have to have thick skin. Oh God, I've learned that. And you and you're right. You can't be married to a line. You can't be married to a thought because the other person may not perceive it the same way you do. Ever, ever. You have to. You have to be able to completely let it go, all of it. And and I've done a little co-writing here and there. And I've learned that it, it's. I think we're pretty aligned on this. Yeah. You go in, throw it against the wall, see if it sticks, and if it doesn't stick. Cool. That's all right. Move on. Move Don't on. get mad. Don't get your feelings hurt. Is this not this person is not a bad person because they didn't like your lines, man. I mean, that's really it's and granted, it, everybody everybody does it. You know, we all everybody gets their feelings hurt. Nobody, you know, when when you think, man, this is a line and somebody goes, "No, nah, I don't get it." That's brutal. That hurts. It is. You know? Because that's but, your creation. That's your baby. But then at the same time, you sort of have to, you know, I realize that it's only trying to make me better, you know? It is. Instead of going, well, what do you what do you know? Instead, like, I can go back and go, all right, I wonder what they didn't like about this. And pick through these songs and go, yeah, I see that. You know, ah, uh, that chord probably shouldn't be there. Mm, that line doesn't really make sense, you know? Yeah. And it goes back to what I was saying, you know, the, the bad habit of not going back and listening to your songs. It's very true. And 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 having somebody who's honest with you like that because steel it's steel sharpens steel. You totally. have to have that. So your current single out right now, it, it's pretty swampy. It's pretty. <laughs> I dig it. Thanks, man. Was that a solo or a co? It was. Yeah. So Brent and I wrote with uh, Philip Sweet and uh, Jimmy uh, Stanley of uh, Little Big Town. So we went in to Philip's house, and uh, you know we're writing for a record, and well their record, I guess, and so. Uh, Brent's like, I got this idea for this song called Mo Damn Cricket. So I was like, all right, well, I wonder where this is going to go. <laughs> so, and it was really cool. And, and so, but the funny thing is like, but we, so I've got a record that I, that's done. Last August, Brent and I went to, I keep saying Brent and I, that's a lot. Sorry. No, We're really good. close. So, um, but we went into the studio to Capricorn Records and where, you know, Capricorn is in Macon, Georgia. That's where, you know, Skinner and the Allman Brothers mm -hmm. and all those guys did the thing. Well, Mercer University bought the, bought the space and reopened the studio. And so um, the first thing that was in there was uh, Blackberry Smoke and Jimmy Hall went and cut some Wet Willie songs. Okay. And then uh, they did a Georgia Music Hall of Fame thing there, and Brent kind of hosted the Georgia Music Hall of Fame. Well, that developed that relationship, and and so in August we went and made a record, and Blackberry Smoke is my band, so it's an absolute oh, record okay. that Brent produced, and Blackberry Smoke is the band. Nice, yeah, very cool. Because Charlie and I grew up like twenty minutes from each other. He he's from like Valley area, and I'm from Opelika. Like they, we played each other in football. Okay. and so he's. I think he graduated in ninety two. I graduated in ninety three. A lot, you know, for two people that really we didn't. We you know, I mean, we didn't really cross paths in a, a significant way until this record, you know. And we all went went down to make it. We spent four days in the same house. We we. Ate dinner. We went to bed. We got up in the morning. We went to the studio. We did that for twelve hours, and we came home. I mean, we did it. You know, that, that's how people get tight. 
You know, it is. that's how people get close. And, um, and it was a really cool experience. And I mean, man, I'm, it's, it's cool because it's, you think you're to yourself, okay, Blackberry Smoke making an Adam Hood record. It's not, but it's not a Blackberry Smoke record. It's you know an Adam Hood I mean? record. Yeah. I mean, like there's two songs on a 10 song record that have guitar solos. That's it. Yeah. So, and that's kind of their bread and butter. I mean, yeah, they're a guitar band, so they're a rock band. It's, but it's it's cool. That's cool. We just got to get it out. And so I say all that to say that. So we were trying to buy ourselves a little time, and and so in that in that buying time, I started realizing, man, we got We haven't put out any music, and so I had these tunes sitting around. And so basically, what we did was we just released the outtakes first. So, I mean, Mo Damn Crickets, and then I, um, I have okay. a song called Pine Cones that I think it's going to come out this month. That was that was the one song that we just did, we didn't record it, you know. And so that was what that song was. And so it kind of is, you know, we wrote it, we in the hopes that they would that that Little Big Town would cut it. And I don't know that they're not going to. I know that Jimmy did a um, they they demoed it. And usually, if 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 the artist demos a song, it's pretty damn pretty close. good. Yeah. And I hope that we haven't shot ourselves in the foot by releasing it. But sometimes, sometimes releasing a song is a is a good way to to test the waters on. Yes, it. you know what I mean. If if you if the if the writer puts it out and and it takes off, then yeah, that's got good response. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, uh, John Bauman before he got a Kenny Ch- uh, Kenny Chesney cut, he you know he had uh, I just blanked on it. Um, Gulf Moon, yeah. Same thing. You Same know what principle. I mean? It's kind of like, you know, that's that's how those people hear those songs sometimes. And, you know, I mean, that's not our case, but but you know, it's it's more the exception than the rule to put a song out. Very true. Yeah. Very true. You feel like playing it? Yeah. I think I can do Got an old fishing hole. You can catch them all day with a cane pole. The only trick is, far as I know, is more damn cricket. Lily May lived straight through the woods. Her mama didn't like me, but we did what we could. We met down in the thicket, and our only excuse to go was more damn crickets. We spent our nights acting like we was fishing. They wouldn't bite, so we might try kissing. We used them up, showing up, we was wishing. About that time to get more damn crickets. So we come home late with an empty bucket. Low on bait and high on loving, 
Mama wanted to know Said where your fish go Mama, I don't know I guess we need more damn crickets We spent our nights acting like we was fishing They wouldn't bite so we might try kissing We use them up and show them nothing we was wishing About that time to get more damn crickets Good to know I can do that acoustic. I'm glad. Mission accomplished. <laughs> and that's an outtake? <laughs> <laughs> right. I know. I know. I mean, I, we'll get the, the, the plan is, and it's, it's taken so long because of COVID and, and it's everybody's struggling like this. And, and, you know, so there's, there's this, there's this long line of albums that, that didn't get put out. There's this other long line of albums that were made, and then there's this other long line. So like, just every like, it's a it it it. If you want to find some new music now, is the time. Yes. And so we, but in doing that, you know, I mean, there's a strategy. This is, you know, I mean, it, it's it's marketing. This is all that crap that that you know. I don't the business totally part. absolutely. This is the business. This is the this is the business. And so we kind of decided we wanted to buy our time as long as we could, and uh, I'm, I'm tired. We're tired of waiting. And so, so we'll put out we'll put out pine cones this month, and then probably start releasing singles from the new record in January. Okay, awesome. Is uh, music a passion or an obsession for you? Mm, good question. Both. Okay. Yeah. So explain yeah, both. Um, I, I just like the, the passion about it. It's just like what we're talking about. You know, I mean, it's you, you, the creation of a song is very romantic. You know, it's really a special thing. And it's, you know, just, it's funny because <clears throat> it's, it's weird. Like in the process, you know, you're like, oh man, is this any good? Is this any good? And then the minute you're done with it, you go, wow. <sighs> you know, I mean, yeah. I, 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 I we did it, you know, and and so that's I, I'm passionate about that, you know. Um, the obsession is just really kind of getting better and and finding new stuff. It's yeah, for some reason it's weird because like you know I don't listen to that much music, you know, and it's and that's because of podcasts and yes. and, and things like that. You know, just I as guilty, it. but at the same time. I have started making myself listen to music. And in that, is de- I've developed the obsession again. I've fallen in love with it again, you know, which is good. It is. That's important. Yeah, because, I mean, like you said, iron sharpens iron. If you're not – if it's not garbage in, there's no garbage out. You know? 100%. And I, I agree with that. I think you're I think you're, you're dead on with that. How does – with COVID, and I know you said you, you and Brent write a lot, how much is – playing music with others not necessarily just creating but playing with others how much of that is what's the importance of that to you i guess you should say um i think it's it's really so that i mean it's it's kind of like looking in a mirror sort of i'm not that's not so much but like you just man Edie and i jason Edie, jason's my other friend so i have i have brent who's my friend and i have jason who's my other friend yeah and so uh he it's like I say that 
playing live, it's really important. Like he and I do well together. And I learn a lot from him. I learn a lot from his style. Like he doesn't like he doesn't own a pick. No, he I mean, does like, not. If you can't ever ask him for a pick. But then like there's just you know, his approach to, to riding is 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 unique in itself. And and I don't see those things um and until I'm li- until we're on a stage together, you know? And so it's important because like that's how you get to know somebody, you know. That's how you either get to know somebody or that's how you never speak to somebody again. You know what I mean? Okay, interesting yeah, perspective. I've done both, you know. I mean, I've sat on stage with with some with some guys and and I look at like, man, I mean, Brandon Jenkins was one of them, dude. I mean, we did so when I released Different Groove, uh, I I had like a, a a Monday night residency at at a place called Suede in Dallas, which was like two doors up from where the old Poor David's was. Okay, and I um, Brandon played one of the shows with me, and it was. It was like we could look at each other and go, okay, I know you. You know, like, I mean, I hear your songs, you hear my songs, I know you. And Grider was another one. I mean, this was very early in, I mean, like I said, I released Different Groove. And and there were a few that I didn't get along so well with. And we know? don't have to, I don't want to name names Exactly, on that. yeah, no point in saying that. But I'll tell you, and, and not so much that, like, we didn't like each other, but but I saw that I don't think we can relate. And it's not bad. It's just like there's some things that are completely different. You they know? are. And so, and that's the that's the beauty in it. I can appreciate that, but know that, ah, this ain't my thing. And I'm not your thing. And that's okay. We can, let's, if we can do this, we can be friends. But that's, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm making this sound like it's a lot more dramatic than it but, really No, is. but it makes perfect sense because you have to have a symbiotic relationship when you're on stage. Yeah, I got to know where you're coming from, same way you got to know where I'm coming from. And, and sometimes, you know, I mean, it's just there's different styles of music. My music is, is very much a style, and it does not fit with other styles, you know? And that's okay. That's okay. We it's can do that. We can do that because that's, okay. that's what makes music beautiful. And it's what makes us people too. You know, just because somebody doesn't, I mean, okay, talk about somebody not liking my music. My three-year-old doesn't like my music. My five-year-old loves it. She'll listen to my records all day long. The three-year-old doesn't want to hear them. You know, there you go. I mean, I got to live with that every day. I got to live with a, a skeptic in my house that doesn't like my damn songs. But you know what? Hey. There's your best it's critic. Okay. There's your best critic <laughs> what right am I there. Do not love her. Yeah. No. Uh, exactly. Uh, he, he it knows. makes me love her more. It does. <laughs> You're not the rock star to her. Oh, I'm not the rock star to they, <laughs> I mean, I wish. I don't know. I think Drew Drew's the five year old. I, I think she she likes it. You Good. know, Edie could kind of take it or leave it, but but Drew's she she gets she likes it. Sequestered songwriters. I'm going to go there. So at the time that we'll air this, so it'll probably be early December when this comes out. Mm. So we just had the festival. Yeah. How important was the sequestered songwriters weekly show to you? The weekly broadcast, I should say. I I don't think I'll understand the importance of it for a while. You know what I mean? Like, I think that we're still kind of in that time period to where like, you know, it's, it's still, it's still real time. Mm -hmm. And so like, it's, it's it's gonna have to like it's I'll I'll real I do realize that I'm I'm not saying that right. Um, you don't fully grasp everything. The scope of it. The yeah. scope. Yes. And it's hard to because it's hard to look at it on Facebook and see how many people nationally and globally were watching that. Yes. It was. I mean, like it was unbelievable. And what was more unbelievable was the fact that it was so. I mean, it was so enormous. 
and nobody nobody administratively touched it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like nobody nobody bothered anybody. I, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it, you would think, oh God, we're gonna do this James Taylor. We're gonna get in all this trouble. James Taylor was on it. You know, and like we're gonna do this Bonnie Raitt thing, and uh, we're gonna get in all this trouble with like playing these songs and things. And Bonnie Raitt, like she watched, like these the people that we were paying tribute to, they watched it. They, they loved watched it. it. And I mean, that goes back to the thing called love thing. Just the fact that like I got to play thing called love for Bonnie Raitt, the song that changed my life for the person that changed my life. I got to play that song for her. I mean, and yeah, it happened on Facebook, but it happened. It was it was a real, it was that tangible thing. What, yeah, that's big. And that was just one time. That was just the Bonnie Raitt night. And so then there's Steve Warner. And like with that, I played Linda, okay? Pat McLaughlin wrote Linda. And Pat is the guy that I wrote the Tennessee Wheel with, way too long with, uh, trying to write a love song with, like Gonna Take a Woman. Like I wrote uh, like a lot of my good songs I wrote with Pat. And it was Pat's birthday. And so it was cool to like play Linda for Steve Warner on Pat's birthday. Yeah. And so there it were there were those things. And I I I'll pat myself on the back that I did not miss a week. I was about yeah. So good thing there. You and Courtney were the only the only two, ones two. that didn't miss a week. There's no plaque, there's no like, there's no <laughs> nothing. We'll, we'll get you we'll get you a little trophy. I mean, yeah. A trophy would do fine, like a little guitar player sitting on top of the trophy, like perfect attendance. They'd done it. If we were in grammar school, they'd have done it. You'd have got a gold star, a perfect attendance award, and they'd have taken you to lunch. Absolutely. That's right. I'd have got a little, like a pen to wear, and then free lunch, free Pizza Hut. Free Pizza Hut. (laughs) So, so... I've got my work cut out for me. So one, I've got to commission a statue for you in Alabama, yes. right under Saban. So that's right. Little Adam sitting next to Saban. <laughs> Little Adam's next to And then I got to get some trophies made for you and some yeah. and Courtney. It's only two. You got a point there. I'm just worried about the cost of bronze right now. <laughs> <laughs> you can make it a tenfold. I don't care. Or a gummy. Yeah. But don't, don't you know, the water get on it. It's, that's, the, that's, the, it was, I, that's to my wife's credit. Because you know, I would say oh, I can't, I, I can't do it this week. I mean, like one one time, I did it like from a hunting camp, and so it was <laughs> it was really a, a, a difficult thing. But my wife's like, "Oh, you're not going to do it? No, babe, I can't. Uh, really? No, I just can't. Okay, all right. So you're not going to do it, you know?" And so like I had you had to push. Oh yeah, the, I had the I had the good woman behind the good man. Yeah, exactly. that's that's very important. <laughs> and I think for the people listening. The whole scope of the Sequester Songwriters thing is it wasn't just about you guys playing music. It wasn't just about the fellowship that you had. There was a purpose behind this, mm-hmm. and it was to create a fund for those artists who were struggling. And I want to tell you, thank you for doing that because it was very important. Mm-hmm. What you guys have done, I say, I, I don't mean this in the past tense, what you are doing currently. Now, it was hellaciously fun to watch every single yeah, it week. Yeah, was fun. It really was fun. Damn it, I loved it. Well, and that's, you know, that's the other thing. I guess that's the thing that I don't realize the scope of is because of the fact that, like, this is sort of a, it's a kind of an emergency insurance fund. And, and you know, this is, Jason and Courtney and Matt are, are a lot more involved with that, and rightfully so. And they work really hard. I, I don't see how they're doing it. To be honest with you, I don't see how they're, I don't see how they're. Because they're obsessive? Well, just, yeah, yeah. I don't exactly. mean that in a negative connotation. It is, yeah. I mean, they, they, they can obviously take on the load. I can't do it. And so, um, the, so having that, it's, it's really, 
it's just nice to have a little a little net, you know. And for and for us, if if anything happens and things do, you know, at least you got your pals. And like we got our like we really have our you know you have your you have your people now. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't understand. I say a lot of people. Uh, maybe that's going to come out wrong. I don't want to say that. Let me rephrase this. The music industry is so different than a day-to-day job. Very much so. Because your source of income is based on your talent. Mm-hmm. You don't have a structured 401k. You do not have a employer who is offering you insurance of any kind. Yeah. It's up to you really to have your business model crafted. Mm-hmm. I mean. And. <clears throat> and that is that is the one thing that was the hardest lesson for me to learn. I'm still learning it. I mean, I I don't. I'm, I'm not a businessman. I'm not. I never have been. I I have. I, I didn't. You know. I didn't finish. I mean, I went to community college, but I mean, that's really it. You know. I mean, I, I'm not a I'm not a marketing major, and so I've had to learn all this stuff the hard way in real time, and I'm still learning it. And I, you know, I have I have people, and it's funny. You know, I have I have a few. I have a few friends that are great businessmen that help me in right. the same way that I have friends that are musicians that help me. And just and when I say help me, just help me kind of figure out, okay, here's what we've got. How do I do this? What's the next step? Exactly. And so um, that's really important. I mean, it's really important. And it's hard to know what you want until you know who you are. You know, I mean, I don't. Good point. I mean, I, and so it's taken me a long time to accept it's taken me a long time to accept who I am as an artist. Okay. And, and but but in doing that, and I think in the past, well, I mean, since I quit drinking, I think that's that's really been the thing that sort of helped me say, okay, this is who I am. I found it. Now I've got to build it. And and I wish I'd have done this at thirty instead of at forty six. Some lessons are harder to learn. Totally, absolutely. Well, you know, you just got to get over yourself. And it took me a long time to get over myself. <laughs> and I get all of us are still working on that right, daily. Exactly. Yeah. So you brought it up, and I didn't want to touch on it too much. So the sobriety portion of it, mm-hmm. what kind? Of, how would you reflect on that? I mean, I don't know. It's it's it. It was one of those things where you know, it, it's there are these things in life that are inevitabilities, mm-hmm. and drinking was one of them. You know, and and initially it was you know it's just like we all started like we were talking about. You know, you start out in a college bar, everybody's drinking. It's your job to keep them drinking, mm-hmm. and so in order to keep them drinking, you got to drink. But then you start to you start to you know get on the road, and then it's like well, sound checks at two, and then you don't start till nine, and we don't have anywhere to stay, and you know, so all we can do is sit here. Well, I'll take a Miller Light, and so by the time you know the show rolls around, you're slobbering drunk, you know, and and that, I had enough years of my life to where you know I, I started to realize that that um, people. You know, I just wasn't putting on a good show anymore. You know, it was just not not fun. We didn't sound good, and you know, it just it was more trouble than it was worth. And and there was, I, it was again the same thing that it was more trouble than it was worth. Yeah, and that so, makes perfect sense. And and that was and granted, you know, I'm not perfect. You know, I st- you know I still have my vices, but just you know, the drinking is. I don't want to. I just can't do it anymore. You know, and so so I quit. And and it was uh, it's been the best things ever happened to me. Nice. Yeah. And it's it, the the cool thing is like it's no big deal. Like I thought, oh God, if I quit, everybody's going to be mad at me, and everybody's going to buy me shots. Nobody said anything. Not one person. I, I, there's been there have been I can I can count on one hand the scenarios of people that have bought me a drink, and they've all done it just because they didn't know, you know. And I mean, like they like someone will come hand me a beer, 
And again, this has happened like three times. Someone hand me a beer. I'll take it, say thank you, and just kind of walk around with it and just sort of put it down, you know? I don't want to say, oh, how dare you buy me a drink? I quit drinking, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And But then those people will also send me a message the next day and go, man, I'm really sorry I bought you that drink. I didn't realize you quit drinking. And and so I don't care. You don't owe me an apology. You know, it's not – that was a kindness. And It was a good gesture. Absolutely. I mean, I don't have a problem with that. And, and I also don't have a problem with other people drinking. You know, I mean, I can sit – now, granted, about – about two o'clock in the morning, you're not going to keep me there any longer. I've, I've had enough. I'm sick of it. You're starting to repeat yourself. I don't want to talk anymore. I'm go- <laughs> I'm going to bed. So I'm gonna go rest. Yeah, See you later. But I'm not judgy. You know, I don't. I mean, I'm not sitting here going. You know, I don't. I don't. I don't turn my nose up at at, at, at a party. It's it's part of the. I don't know. I'm going to say lifestyle. It's just it's kind of an accessory. Uh, it, it is totally. And um, Chris Watson and I were talking about this, and he said. He said the same thing. He said he said he quit drinking for two years, and he said he said it changed my relationship with alcohol. And I thought that's a really good point. And and so like and, and he said that in the fact that like <clears throat> excuse me, now he said I can have a drink, and that's all I can have. You know what I mean? A like, drink. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't. Ha- I can. I can go be social, but not let it get out of hand. And I thought that was a good point. It is. That's very much so. So we've covered a lot of ground here today. Yeah, man. It I is. Love it. Is there? If you had five minutes to sit up in front of a group of green artists, you had five minutes, and there was, this is what you, the message you wanted to give to these, this room of 10 artists, with you having a good career, the longevity of the career that you've had, what is that, that, that piece of advice that you would give to that, that group of artists that are starting out that are so green, they don't know what's going on? Don't quit. Just don't quit. I mean, and that was that was the advice that Frank gave me, and he, he didn't even give it to me. He just said, "We were like I, it was Frank Liddell. We were all in a group, and he said, you know, and again, he wasn't saying this like it was giving advice. He said, man, he said, just the people that I love the most are the guys that just they're still doing it, you know, and and it's perseverance is equally as important as talent, equally as important as, as all the other things, the marketing and all that stuff, that stuff is, is yeah, sure. That's important, but it's all secondary to like Grider was saying, just write, man, you know, just write and make every song better than the last one, but make your music and find out what you do. And you don't have to write all your songs. You can still, I mean, there are plenty of people that write stuff just like you, you know, and so just, but, but write and, and try to find your sound and, and once you, and, and work, persevere until you find it. And once you find it, persevere with it, make it Hold yours. It. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Just work at it. it. At the end of the day, this is a craft. At the end of the day, this is art. At the end of the day. And uh, something else is the fact that like, it, this is something I've noticed that people are getting in a bad habit of study the masters. The, yeah. Like there, there are a lot of people who are who are writing a lot of country songs that have no idea who Sonny Throckmorton is, and that is a problem. That, that is, is a problem. huge problem. And there, you know, so so look at the great ones. Like pick the top ten country classic songs. Google it. Look who wrote it. Go look at what else they wrote, and and just just. You know, you don't have to sit there and like study their catalog, but just know, okay, these are the guys that wrote these songs. They, these people created this certain, like this was a certain time in country music. This was what happened in blues. This was, you know what I'm saying? Like this is, you know, learn, learn. The it, history of music. Absolutely. It's, it's really important. It's really important. Good. 
Thank you. Thank you for sharing. My pleasure. Appreciate that. So with this show, off mic, off the record, what we've just done for the last hour and a half is the the off mic portion of it. I was asked for many years doing the live show. Hey, when you guys go to commercial break, when you guys are side stage, backstage, between sound check and the live portion, what do mm-hmm. you talk about? Nothing. We talk about this. We play <laughs> yeah. catch up. Football. Yeah. We talk about football or tacos or clean <laughs> restrooms or where not to stay on the yes, road. Not clean restrooms. <laughs> not clean restrooms. And I touched on this a little bit earlier. The uh, off the record portion of it for me was I love new music. And mm-hmm. when I say new music, I don't mean necessarily new music to the cosmos or the universe. New music to me. Mm-hmm. And I love finding that new music, much like we did discuss, in those rooms where we find the songwriter playing. Mm -hmm. And so I've always been obsessed with hearing songs by the songwriter that meant something to the songwriter that maybe never found in home. Maybe it's that song that sits in the bottom of the guitar case in the back of the songwriter's book that's tried to be on a project or maybe just has never found a home yet, sonically fit something. And I always ask the guest to close me out with a song that is the off record the not release song and I would say what do you have Mr. Hood that is a song that you love but you've just never quite found that landing spot for it so when I started writing for Warner well with with Low Country uh, it was part of it was Warner the first person I wrote with was Sean McConnell and and after all these years we wrote one time and uh, and we wrote this song and and I didn't play it I don't remember kind of what happened with it. You know, we, I just played, I, you know, we wrote it. I didn't think anything about it. And somehow, uh, you know, we were picking through some stuff and, and my wife brought it to my attention and was like, man, I love this song. And so um, I had this opportunity to kind of, you know, you can go record this one song with this developing studio and the, the deal didn't work out, but it breathed, it put a little wind in the sails of this tune. And, uh, and so, and so because I worked it out with the band, to record it, which we didn't record, um, we started playing it out live, and and it just it just kind of uh, every time I play it, like people gravitate to it, and and so I did record it. Eventually, uh, there's a songwriters compilation that I hope is going to come out uh, sometime in the next you know five years that Dave did. Um, and it's gotten like Lori McKenna and Channing Wilson and, and you know all the writers that Dave yeah. uses, and this song is on there. And uh, and so this is a really I feel like this is a really special song because I remember Dave saying <clears throat> so you know Dave asked me if I wanted to do the record and I said well yeah I said well so what do you want he said just choose the one song that you want the world to to hear and so I what a I mean what a difficult thing but I actually have one so I'm nice. like, I don't want no money fortune or fame. I don't give a damn if the whole world remembers my name No pretty wide mansion No Mercedes Benz No high society Joneses to pose our friends I just want a love that's strong and true one soul in the world that knows what I've been through Each time I look over my shoulder I know that someone's got my back And you love me like that I 
you don't want a rich man with something to prove. You just want to know every love song I write about you. So you'll be my candle and I'll be your spark. Baby, we won't lose each other Alone in the dark Cause I just need a love that's strong and true One soul in the world that knows what I've been through Each time I look over my shoulder I know that someone's got my back You love me like that One soul in the world that knows what I've been through Each time I look over my shoulder I know that someone's got my back And you love me like that You love me like that I'd say you're pretty successful at that one song that you want the world to hear from you. That is Thank you. amazing, Thank sir. You. I appreciate it. Wow. Well, you know, and that's the thing. I mean, no joke. I mean, that song was written years ago, years ago. And I don't know, I don't know why. I, don't, I guess we just kind of, you know, you just, that's the thing. Like I was saying, you just write songs and you kind of move on. But that one sort of found itself back into my life. And, uh, and man, it was, it was really. I mean, now that it has, like I said, every time I play it, I get these messages. It's like, okay, our wedding's in October. When's it? He's going to get this record out for me? Well, yeah, I hope so. Okay, we're waiting. That is a great track, sir. I've pissed off a lot of brides not having that song I'm out. I'm so. sure you have. <laughs> well, thank you. Adamhood.com. Uh, Yes. Where we can find all the information to our dates, uh, merch store. Uh, we can find you on all streaming platforms, Spotify. Just look up Adam Hood. You'll find everything but that song. Yeah, I know. Hopefully that album gets released in the next couple of years and we get to hear that recorded because, whoa, that is powerful, sir. Thank you. All right. So I think that we're going to do that. So until next time, friends, Adam Hood, thank you again, sir. Appreciate My your pleasure. time. My pleasure. Thank you, Aaron. I enjoyed it, man. Until next time, friends, Aaron Bentley, off mic, off the record. Adios. Off Mic, Off the Record is a Blacktop Poetry production. For more insight into your favorite independent artists and all things behind the scenes and in between, visit blacktoppoetry.com. Our theme is provided by Austin Upchurch. Go check him out at austinupchurch.com. I'm your host, Aaron Bentley. And if you made it this far, you're either really bored or you fell asleep. Either way, thank you for your support. And I'll catch you next time. Adios. It's gonna be